0: Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast, where we mobilize disciples to live on the mission of pursuing intimacy with God and intimacy with others. Today's episode is part four of our Christmas series, entitled Mary and Joseph. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Um, If you will turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter two, If if I have not shook your hand or hugged you, it's not because I don't love you. It's because I woke up feeling sick today. And, I, and it's because I love you, I don't shake your hands, right? As a matter of fact, that's the reason our kids are leaving right now. <laughs> like the, there's a sinus infection going around apparently and fevers and nastiness. And so um, because I love you, I'm ignoring you. So feel <laughs> so good about um, that. Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. Can I get somebody just to stand up and read this loudly? It's kind of going to set the pace for today. Um, in, this, in this Christmas season, we've been looking at the characters and the, and the text, the nativity, and kind of like what can we learn from them? So Luke chapter 2. Can I, can I get a, a voiceless volunteer? All right, sweet. Rick's got it. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7.
1: In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up and placed it in a manger because there was no guest room available for
0: him. It's a good translation. What was that? NIV. NIV. Good translation. All right. Um, have, you, have you guys ever – like last week, Lance taught us about um, Simeon and Anna. Remember? And this is kind of a reversal. We were supposed to do Mary and Joseph. But that didn't work. So we did Simeon and now we're flipping it around. But it's, it's kinda, it kind of expounds on each other. Because the basic, the concept is it teaches us something really important about our life. So I just ask this question. What are, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? What in your life are you just like, God, any day you can move. You know, what I mean, I, I, any day you could conquer the sin. Any day you could change this marriage. Any day you could change this job situation. Any day you could, you know, what, what are you waiting on? What are you praying for that maybe you haven't heard an answer yet? And because sometimes when we pray we don't hear answers, we get discouraged, right? Sometimes we just deal with it. We're like, ah, well, whatever, moving on. You know, maybe God will answer it someday, whatever. But, I mean, I'm I'm not going to hang my hope on it or anything. I'm tired of praying. We We get discouraged and we move on. Sometimes our life changes quickly, right? We pray for something within a week. God answers that prayer and it's just like... You know, your jaw hits the floor and you're like, that was amazing, that's so cool, thank you God. And then we go about our life and we forget that God answered a prayer in a week. And and so then when we're waiting, or maybe we remember that really well, and then when God doesn't answer in a week, we get really discouraged and we throw in the tap. What are you waiting on? What are you looking for God to do in your life? Today we're going to, we've been, we've gone through this series of the Christmas characters in the nativity and we've, we've looked at angels Right, We saw in the first week of December, we saw angels were sent by God to declare the coming of the Son, the King, to the shepherds. And that one of the things they declare was that the war on sin had begun. Right, They, they did their, their battle cry in the sky, and it shook the ground, and it scared the snot out of the, the shepherds. And then they, that caused them to move, to get up and go. But the angels were sent to point us to Christ. Right, And we, we learned about angels, um, some interesting things about angels. Then, uh, then we talked about shepherds. Why shepherds? Why in the world would you possibly spend all your time and energy from heaven announcing the birth of God the 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 biggest historical event in the history of humanity why would you announce that to the next to the lowest rung of society right and we learned that like who else would care more about the birth of a lamb than shepherds Right. That was kind of the take home from that and that Jesus was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and shepherds. They those specific shepherds lived in the fields where David raised sheep. Right. This is this specific field that the the temple would go to those sheep and pick out the Passover lamb that would represent God's forgiveness and passing over the sins of the people. And then and the angels came and said, by the way, you're missing the Passover lamb He's over there. Go see him. And, and they got up and they went and found the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? We've learned about shepherds. And last week Rick taught us about Simeon and Anna. About faithfully serving. Just trudging along, Keep moving. Trust God. Keep moving. Well, today we're going to look at Mary and Joseph. We're going to look at something that uh, often when you close your eyes and you think of the Christmas story, it, it probably... We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to do this. We're going to close our eyes and we're going to do it eventually. But it, it might not be what the text actually says, right? Because our Western culture likes to, to think about what the movies tell us the nativity was versus what the scripture tells the nativity was, what happened in the text. So we're going to, we're going to dig in today. And what I want us to learn from uh, Joseph and Mary are four things, four very specific things. That there are ways to wait Right? Let's start with this. There are ways to wait. Did you know that? There are ways to wait. Joseph and Mary were waiting for something. They were waiting for more than just the birth of a son. Right. The, the angels came to them and said, to, to, appeared to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to be the mother of God's son. You are favored and blessed. Awesome things are going to happen. You're going to carry the son. And then in a dream, an angel came to Joseph and said, not only are you going to be the father of the son of God, he is going to be the king that takes back over the throne of David. And his, and his kingdom will never fail. The promises that I've said in the prophecy will be fulfilled in this baby. In Jesus. And so they weren't just waiting for their son to show up. They were waiting for a savior. Who will, will save them from the sins of Israel. Right? Will save them from their sins. And they were waiting for the king. They had this anticipation of something amazing. But they had to wait. Right? So they found this thing out. And then nine months later, God answers the prayer. But then does God really answer the prayer? Because the, the baby Jesus didn't become king right then, right? I mean baby Jesus didn't save everybody from sin right then. So then they had more waiting. So learn how to wait today. That's what I want to look at. Right? That there's two ways to wait. There's one, it's a passive waiting. You ever been done any passive waiting? This is passive waiting. All right, God, I want you to move. And I'm gonna sit here until you do it. I'm getting a little hungry. Any day now. Alright, fine. If you're not going to answer it, I'm out of here. Throwing the towel. right? Passive waiting is you're waiting for God to do something, and when he doesn't move on your timetable, you're out the door. And then there's expectant waiting. Waiting with expectation. <laughs> waiting with expectation looks a little different. It's hopeful. It believes that an answer is just around the corner. That God's going God, to – tomorrow, if not today, tomorrow is the idea of expectant waiting. Their belief is – It's not in passing things, the heart is full of hope, expecting the problem to be solved at any moment. Expectant waiting means that you wake up every morning expecting God to move. Every morning. And then it also means things might change suddenly, but if they don't, you're still in it for the long haul. That's expectant waiting. There's passive, let it happen to me. If it doesn't, I'm out. And there's expectant, I've got to keep the hope got to keep the faith and I got to keep moving. Mary and Joseph had expectant; they were, they were waiting with expectancy, right? They were looking forward to God doing something. And we're going we're to learn four things today about how we build a pattern of being people who wait with expectancy, okay? Am I saying that word right? I don't even know if I uh, We're going to make up a word, expectancy, all right? All right, cool. Um, here's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn that expectant waiters trust God's word. It's the first thing they do. They trust God's word. Number two, they endure, right? They don't throw in the towel. They endure. Expectant waiters keep their eyes open for affirmation, keep their eyes open to see God affirm his call in their life. And then fourth, we're going to learn the power of pondering. Expectant waiters ponder, right? It's a good word. All right, cool. Let's dig in the text. Um, Expectant waiting means trusting God's word, trusting God's word. Luke 1, 26-33. Find that in your Bibles, on your phones, wherever you got it. Find Luke 1, 26-33. It's on the screen if you don't have it, so I'm going to read it here. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings. Listen to this. This is interesting. You are highly favored. You are highly favored favor. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Right? Anytime you see an angel, you freak out. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call your him Jesus. And he will be great, he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary gets the news of the coming king. Right? Matthew 1, 20 through 25. Find that one. Matthew 1, 20 through 25. It's on the screen. This is, the, this is when the angel came to Joseph and gave him this, this word of God. Right? But after he had considered this, an angel considered divorcing Mary. That's what this was. Considered this. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Same message, right? She'll give birth, and you're to name him Jesus. And then here's the fun thing: because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the, word the Lord had said to the prophets: the virgin will conceive a birth. Sorry, will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until he, she had given birth to the son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Mary and, Jesus, Mary and Joseph received very specific words from God. right? One, don't get divorced to Joseph. Don't get divorced. Don't, don't do what is culturally acceptable. Don't do what is good for you and, or, or good for your name. But do what I'm telling you to. Trust me. I'm telling you, this son will do something amazing. He will save Israel from their sins. So you're going to be the father. You're going to name him Jesus, and he's going to do crazy, amazing things. And then the angel came to Mary and said, Mary, you're highly favored. You are blessed among women. Like you are going to have a son, and that son is going to sit on the king on the throne of David. And, and, and reign over Jacob's descendants forever, eternally. Like that promise that this, the throne of David would never pass away is being fulfilled right here. And so both of them, being good Jews, knew what this meant. And so they were really excited about this. But they had an option, right? So, so Mary ends up pregnant. And uh, in the culture of the day, if you're pregnant before you're married, you're a harlot, right? I mean, there's, there's no way around it. You don't just magically get pregnant by the Holy Spirit and so, and if you, are going to, if you are going to marry someone who is like that, you can pretty much say goodbye to any stature or anything you have in, in your culture. You're out you're the door, right? So Joseph, as a good Jew, as a descendant of King David, let's not forget this, right? Matthew tells us that he was in line for the throne, right? So this is a guy that is known in culture. He could have said, the law gives me the provision to divorce her. And he considered this, divorce her quietly and walk away. But God told me not to. Think about the shame that I will bring on the name of David by taking this woman as my wife. I don't, I don't want to, I, I can't risk that, right? I mean, I, the lineage of David, the name of David is too big and important, and I'm supposed to represent that. I'm supposed to represent my parents and their parents and their parents before them all the way back to the line of David. And if I take this woman who was pregnant before we got married, the whole town is going to, it's just going to bring total disgrace. It's going to ruin our name But the law says I can divorce her. I can obey God's law or I can obey God's word to me. There was a risk there, right? What Joseph chose to do, according to his text, is he got up and he took Mary as his wife and he took her home. And then she conceived the son and they named him Jesus. He obeyed God's word. Here's my question to you. Mary did the same thing, right? Mary could have said, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. I'm going to be viewed as a harlot. My name is ruined. I've done so much, God, to keep my virginity and keep myself pure and to do what's right. And now you're ruining that. And and everybody's going to say things about me. Uh, Maybe I should not have this baby. Right? I'm sure there were probably ways to get out of a pregnancy back then. But she didn't. To save her name, she trusted God's word. So this is my question for you. What has God told you? That's hard to trust right now. What, what promise of God, what word of God is God, like it's drilled into your head by the Holy Spirit, yet right now, today, and yesterday, it's really, really hard to hold on to. It's really hard to decide, am I going to believe and trust, or am I going to move and go my own will? at my will or God's will? What word? Is it that I'll never leave you or forsake you? Is that the promise? That you're like, oh, yeah, I never leave but I feel I sure feel forsaken and I sure feel like he's left me so forget that I'm going to pursue my own flesh is it that he has the power to over, overtake sin and death to overcome sin and death but yet you're struggling with sin constantly in your life and your life forget it I don't really want to trust God's word and what he says and how he tells me to leave I would rather do my own thing it's too hard it's too complicated I'm throwing it in the towel Are you waiting passively for God's word to come true in your life? Are you waiting with expectancy? Trust God. Trusting God's word takes time. Right? Trusting God's word takes time. Trusting anything takes time. But um, time requires endurance. Time requires endurance. So the second thing is expectant waiting means enduring. Luke 2, 6 through 7. While they were there, The days came, uh, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and they wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. All right. Let's do this. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes. See the nativity story. Right? I, I want you to take a second and just from the time that you hear, like, in those days, Caesar Augustus demanded a census, blah, blah, blah. Keep going. Like, from that time, what do you see? You see... Mary sitting on a donkey, right? Who sees that? Raise your hand. Anybody see Mary sitting on a donkey? Okay, cool. And Joseph is leading the donkey, right? And they're going into Bethlehem, right? Anybody see that? They're going to Bethlehem. And they get to the inn, right? And then there's probably a very large innkeeper that looks probably a lot lot like yours truly. Um, Greasy face, maybe some some spaghetti stains on his white t-shirt, his apron here. He's throwing out the throwing out that nice dinner, and they're like, hey, we're pregnant, and we've been traveling, can we get a place in the inn, right, anybody see that, when you think about a nativity, you see that, and then he's like, nope, nope, there's no space, but you can go sleep in the barn, you can go bunk in with the, with the animals, anybody see that, that's typically what we hear, right, and we think, man, she had to endure such hard times, right, she, she had to ride on a donkey, and then she got thrown into the barn. Then she had the baby in the hay. And then she had to wrap the kid in swaddling clothes. Where would she even get clothes from? Maybe they brought him on the donkey. And then she laid him in the manger. And then there's like cows trying to lick the baby. And the goats are like, ah. And it's like, oh, it's so hard. So much to endure. All right. That's, that's the, the Western idea of nativity, right? They come in one night. Jesus Jesus is born in the manger. The shepherds here in the, the stars, uh, or the, the angels come and appear in the night sky and light the place up. They run to him in the middle of the night, and they go into the barn, and they're like, oh, the baby Jesus. And they all it. and Mary ponders in her heart. And then they go out, and they start knocking on doors and telling everybody what they saw and what they heard. And people are amazed. And then they, they live in this barn for two years, apparently, because then the wise men show up, right? I mean, had all your nativity scenes at home, right? The wise men are there, right? Like the Western idea, right? Wise men didn't come for two more years. They weren't living in the barn anymore. They probably had a house, and it was more than likely, you know, it was in Bethlehem. They were there for some reason. But let me paint a more accurate biblical view and show you how much harder it was than you think it was, right? How Mary had to endure while God's word said, this is what's going to happen to you and what she had to go through. And this might be more relatable to you, right? It's more relatable to me when you think about it. All right. Nine months pregnant, headed to Bethlehem. What is Bethlehem's name also called? The city of David. Who is Joseph? A descendant of? Do you think he has family there? He probably has family in in Bethlehem. So the likelihood of him rolling in and going to the inn and being rejected by a Middle Eastern person who hospitality is a huge thing in their culture and being kicked into the barn with a pregnant wife in the middle of the night, very low. Right? The text in verse 6 says, the days were completed. It seems like they were in Bethlehem for a while. Multiple days. Right? The days were completed for her to give birth. Where were they staying? Uh, in, the barn. in the barn, right? No. Okay, well, think about this. They were staying in the barn. Why do we think they were staying in the barn? Mm-hmm. Because there was a manger. manger. All right. So now it's going to get real. Right? Who, who went home to their in-laws for Christmas? Yeah? And who had a wonderful time? Sorry, Raise your hand. Exactly. <laughs> you never say no, right? No, I mean, do you remember the first Christmas you went with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, with your wife or your husband, you went to their house and how awkward it was when you met crazy Uncle Steve? Right? And, and, like, and everybody was, they had their traditions, and you had to fit in, and you were just like, hey, okay, well, this is cool, I'm here. You know what I'm talking about? You're smiling. It's kind of odd. You know, it's like, it's kind of weird when the first Christmas where you're going to the in-laws' house. This is what Mary did. Mary goes to the in-laws' house, right? In Middle Eastern culture, hospitality is a huge thing. A pregnant lady's not going to be kicked into the barn. Right? But there's this word. Put it up on the screen. You got the word? There you go. Katayuma. Katayuma. That's not how it's spelled in, in Greek, but I mean I, I, so he's gonna kill me. But that is how it's phonetically sounded, right? Cataluma. You know what cataluma means? There's three there's three translations for it. This is cataluma. Ready? In guest room or dining room. In guest room or dining room. Rick's translation was wonderful. There was no space for them in the guest room, right? this is Middle Eastern uh, architecture, right, at this time. There was a a bottom floor and then a top floor, and the top floor was the living space. The top floor is where people slept, right? At night, the heat would rise up and keep them warm in the desert, right, because it's cold, so they would, they'd be up off the ground, and it'd be elevated in the top upper room, the guest room, the upper room, right? And on the bottom floor was the kitchen and where they would bring their animals in at night. Archaeologists have found that most of the houses in, in the early first century Jerusalem, they had these dugout pits in the, in the main room downstairs, these dugout pits. And so you didn't want your, your animals either being stolen at night while you're sleeping or, you know, because, I mean, your goat, that's your source of cheese, and everybody needs cheese, right? Your pigs, that's your bacon. Amen? Yeah. No, ain't nobody like taking my bacon, right? I mean, but they didn't eat bacon because it was unclean. I know, whatever, but the point is, like... For me, I'd have bacon because I'm, I'm a Gentile. But anyway, moving on. Like, you had your goats, you had your sheep. You know, you'd eat bacon too? Oh, yeah. Preach it, girl. Gentile. What, what? Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Bringing the gospel. So um, they would bring their animals in, and there was a lower dugout pit, and then there was this raised platform where they did all the cooking and where they did their preparation. And then they would go upstairs to the dining slash guest room, right? So think about this. Joseph and Mary head to Bethlehem for this census. Well, who else was going there? Everybody in the line of David, and I guess other people beat them because they didn't have to stop thirty times for her to use the bathroom. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I mean, like other people beat them there, and they filled the guest room, so there was no room for them in the guest room. So they got relegated to the kitchen, right? For days, sleeping in the kitchen with the animals at night, sleeping in the kitchen. It's a little harder. Right? I mean, can you imagine going to your in-laws, your in-laws for the first time, and they're like, oh, you're pregnant? Okay. Well, that's, that's not good because all we have is the kitchen, and there's some goats down there. They're really nice. They won't bite your ear. It's okay. But then you wake up every morning to a cow being like right on your face, and you're like, oh, my gosh. And you, can you imagine the conversations over multiple days until she decided to give birth when she's, like, laying in her sleeping bag and Joseph is in his sleeping bag because it didn't consummate the marriage until the birth of Jesus? Like, and they're sitting there, and Mary's like, if, if Uncle Steve says that joke one more time, I swear I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strangle him, right? I'm pregnant. It's not, I've been doing this for nine months. I'm ready for this baby to get out. I'm, I'm about to strangle Uncle Steve if he tells that story one more time. Can they please stop talking about how the Romans took away your throne? I'm about sick and tired of this, right? I mean – can you imagine the conversations, the real conversations that she had to endure? And now let me ask you this. Here, this is the big thing. She was called highly favored and blessed. Sleeping on the kitchen with the goats and the sheep sound blessed to you? Like when you, when you picture blessed or highly favored by God, does being relegated to the kitchen just, just above where the pigs are at night Does that seem highly blessed to you? How How many times in our life do we want our life to look something different, to look blessed or highly favored, yet it doesn't look that way, and so we stop enduring and stop trusting God's word? We miss out on the opportunity to keep plugging along and being faithful like Simeon and Anna. We miss out on that because it doesn't look, God, like you're with me. It doesn't look like you've got this. It doesn't look like you care too much. I'm on the floor getting ready to give birth in the kitchen, and there's a goat staring at me. This is not highly favored. Highly favored would be upstairs in a fluffy bed, right? That would be highly favored. And all the relatives are up there, and they got here first. And now I've been down here for several days, sleeping on the concrete slab, about to have a baby. Mary and Joseph had this expectancy that something greater was coming, and so they endured suffering. When they didn't look blessed, they kept going. When the days were completed for her to give birth, she had her son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. The mangers were dug-out sections in the lower level where they would put food at night for when they brought the animals in, there was a feeding trough. So I think she went to the in-law's house, got relegated to the kitchen, had a baby, and it was like, this is the only crib available, so she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and put him in there. In a peasant's house in the middle of Bethlehem, and when when the shepherds heard about... This king has been born. They weren't scared to run into the peasant village and look for the peasant house with this king in it lying in a manger on the bottom floor in the kitchen. That's where they lived. They lived with the sheep. They probably hung out on the bottom floor all the time. It was like it was normal for them, right? And yet she was highly favored and blessed. How many times in your life do you want to throw in the towel because you don't look hashtag blessed? That was for you. Right? That's hashtag blessed. Hashtag favored by God. Right? I mean – but you're just like I'm done, I'm finished. Passive waiting. Trust takes time. Time requires endurance. Endurance is fueled by affirmation. Right? Expectant waiting means keeping your eyes open for affirmation. Right? That's the next point. <clears throat> um I think they endured and believed because God had giving them little bits of, of encouragement along the way, right? little encouragement along the way. So Mary hears you're going to have this baby. Joseph's like, I've got to take this woman that's, that's not going oh, my gosh, she's, she's pregnant. It's going to ruin my name. God, you've got to do something to help me know that this, we didn't just have a hallucination and go crazy, and I just threw away my family name for nothing, right? You've got to do something. So she goes and visits her cousin, Elizabeth, right? And what does Elizabeth do? When she she sees Mary for the first time, she goes, (laughs) that was fun, right? Because John the Baptist jumped in her, the baby in her leaped in her womb, right? John the Baptist. And she said, blessed are you among women for the fruit of your womb. Like, and and it is a, blessed is the fruit of of your womb. Like she, God, through John the Baptist jumping and the Holy Spirit told Elizabeth to affirm in Mary what was happening. Stay encouraged, right? If you're three months pregnant now, stay encouraged. God is moving. So we see that one, right? And then we see the angels and the shepherds, right? Then the, ant- the shepherds come running into the house after the baby's born. And you know Mary and Joseph are like, okay, yeah, highly favored. Yeah, they're laying in the trough. That's great. So any day now, king of David and, you know, any, yeah, let's we'll go saving the sins of the world. And then all of a sudden these crazy shepherds run in. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is him. This is the king? We just saw a bunch of angels in the middle of the sky. This is the king? That's pretty sick. This is the king. You are the mother and the father of the king. This is the guy who's going to save the sins of the world and bring joy to all men and peace to all nations. This is him. Oh, that's so crazy. And then they left, and they told everybody, right? And Mary and Joseph had affirmation. They didn't have a hallucination. In their dreams, or uh, that saw an angel before and said, you're pregnant, and by the way, you got roofied. Now, I don't, I don't know how it was, but like they didn't, they didn't say that to her. No, she saw an angel, and the angel said, you're going to bear the Son of God. And then Joseph saw an angel, and the angel said, you're going to be the father. Now get going. And then Elizabeth encouraged her, and she was affirmed. And then the, the, the shepherds came and affirmed because they saw the angels too, and they heard the announcement, and they were encouraged and affirmed. And then it keeps going. Then a few days later, they take this baby to the temple, and who's there to affirm what God was doing? Simeon and Anna, right? And they run over there like, "That's the Messiah! I've been waiting for him my whole life!" And Mary and Joseph are like, "We got to keep going. We're not crazy. We got to keep going." And then Simeon and and then a few years later, you know, two whatever, two and a half years later, these kings come rolling into town. With this caravan of people and, and this, this, their personal armed guards. And they rock in there with gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they have worshiped at the feet of a toddler. Two, two years later, after, after Simeon and Anna. And, and then all of a sudden it's like <clears throat> encouragement, encouragement. They kept their eyes open and they saw God affirming what his calling was in their life. And then Herod tried to kill him. More affirmation. An angel says, go to Egypt, flee, and then stay there until I tell you to come back. Because the king is trying to take out the king. Affirming, affirmation, encouragement. It produced endurance. Endurance, trusting God's word. And then they come back. And Jesus grows up, and he goes to the temple, and they're looking for him at Passover. And then and Jesus is there teaching the rabbis, and they walk in there like, I'm really sorry. I did not mean for him to be talking. I know he's 12. I'm sorry. And they're like, no, no, no. He's teaching stuff we never knew. This guy, this kid, he's something special. They're like, okay, bye. You know, encouragement. And then 12 men decide to jump out of their fishing boats or leave their tax collecting or whatever they were doing and follow this guy and call him Lord. And he says, who do you say that I am? And they say, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. Well, why don't y'all go away? Where else would we go? You have the words of life. Affirmation. Affirmation. Long time. Endurance. And Jesus is like 30-something at this time. And then three years later, there's a cross. And that is a reason to throw in the towel you your mom, right? Your son just got killed by the Romans. But all the way along, God was affirming what he was doing. All the way along, and it produced endurance. And that endurance, that expected waiting for God to move and deliver his promises, was, was finally, finally confirmed with an empty tomb three days later. Right? I mean, then empty tomb. Jesus rose from the dead. He shows up in the upper room. He's eating fish. He's hanging out 40 days. Then he ascends to heaven. And Mary's probably like that, like, yeah, that is pretty cool. That was 33 years of my life that was totally worth enduring. Because God's promises are true. And God's word is true. So I can trust it. And I can endure the suffering because God is affirming me along the way. Are your eyes open to God's affirmation? Right? You might be struggling with something right now. You might have been called to something big, and you just don't, you don't know how you're going to get there. Maybe it's at your job or in your family. Um, you're struggling in your marriage, and you're, you're trying to trust God's word. You're trying to hang on. But maybe in your depth group, there's a little word of affirmation. Hang on. Trust and endure. Keep going. And then you're here on a Sunday morning and you might hear something from God's word that just, you know, like you don't take anything else home because we're long-winded and boring. And then you're like, wait, wait, wait. That was encouraging. I know God is, that, that was affirmation. God used the body of Christ. Or you, maybe you're just driving down the road listening to Caleb and a song just floors you. And God is affirming his, his love and affirming his call in your life. Are your eyes open to see it? Because if your eyes are closed, that's passive waiting. <clears throat> If your eyes are closed and you're not hearing the affirmation as you walk through this life, as you trudge through this suffering, you know what's going to happen? You're going to throw in the towel and you're going to go your will versus his will. Are your eyes open. Lastly, expectant waiting means learning to ponder. Learning to ponder. Ponder. What does it mean? This is pretty cool. To think about something carefully, especially before making a decision or reaching a conclusion. To ponder means to, leave, to think about something deeply, but leave room for God to blow your mind. Not to decide, no, this is how it has to be, and this is where I'm going, but to think about it in a deep way, to soak it in and leave room for God to say. Blow your mind. That's to ponder. Luke 2:17 through20. When they had seen this, they made known the statements what they had been told to them, they're talking about the shepherd showing up and seeing the child, about this child. And all who heard it were, uh, and all who heard it wondered at the things which they were being told by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Treasured and pondered in her heart. Shepherds went back, glorifying, and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just that it had been told to them. How do we know what happened at Christmas? How do we know the Christmas narrative? Scripture. Scripture. And it's a letter, right? It's a letter written by Luke to a guy named Theopolis, or l- ones who love God. So it could have been to Christians or to a specific person named Theopolis. But it was a letter, and in the very beginning of it, if you look at Luke 1, 1 through 4, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things which have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from who f- were first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, so that you may, know for, for certain, you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. That's the opening of Luke. First verses. I am writing this, and I've investigated it, and I've gone back to the eyewitnesses, and I've gathered all the information, and now I'm writing an orderly account for you so that you know that what you've been taught about this Jesus guy is true. Who were the eyewitnesses in that, in that kitchen on that night? Mary and Joseph. Shepherds. Right? I mean, it, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, yeah, we heard about this. No. Mary was still around. Joseph kind of drops off. We don't know what happened to him. He might have died somewhere in there. He was probably an older man. But, like, this is written in, like, 70 to 90 A.D., so 50 years after the death of, of Jesus, 40, 50 years after the death of Jesus. Mary's probably still alive. I would imagine she's still alive, so Luke could probably go to her and ask these questions. Some of the shepherds might have been alive. You know, they could have, he, he could have gone and said, tell me about that night when you saw these angels. Tell me about this night where you you've, you've changed your world and you went out telling everybody what happened. Tell me about that night. Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Right? She treasured them and pondered them. In the midst of something that was absolutely crazy, she took time to think deeply about what God was doing soak it in and leave room for God to do something else. Not just to say, all right, the baby's born, we're done, let's move on. Now he's got to save the world and he's got to be king, so let's go get him on the throne and let's move him into the best schools so that he can, you know, learn all the Torah and then he can be the high priest and he can start offering sacrifices. She didn't make a decision on the night of Christ's birth. She pondered and left room for God to blow him up. Is that a discipline you have, pondering? In the midst of what you're going through, whether it's sin struggle in your marriage, whatever. What is it that you are waiting for? Whatever that thing is. Do you take time to think deeply about it? To sit back and to soak in what God has done? To soak in those moments of affirmation and then remember them and write them down, maybe journal them. Lance had a cool thing called, what is it? 3D development. Develop, what is it? Develop by daily documenting. Daily document for development or whatever. It's like three Ds. Say that again. Turn every day into development through documentation. There you go. Turn every day into development through documentation. So like, if we that's a, that's a way to ponder, right? If we sit down and we journal our day, you know, like I, this is not a discipline I have, right? But let me brag for just a second, right? My wife has this discipline. My wife is really good at this. My wife has two, like three journals. She has her personal prayer journal. Then she has a people journal where she's praying for people specifically and she writes down all her prayers. And then she has a journal that's from God to her. So she writes like as if her father was writing her love letters, right? And these three journals she uses at the end of every year. She sits down and she pulls her calendar out. And you guys did this. The women did this, right? And she sits down and for like two or three days she's just going through and looking for all the ways that God has affirmed our calling in our life, in our marriage, in our ministry. And she's reading it. And she's looking at it. And she goes and looks at this hard, suffering time when God wrote a letter to her, right? When, daughter, I'm with you. I love you. I haven't forgotten about you. And she ponders and she thinks about the truths of God. And she's got scripture in that. And then she goes for the people that she's been praying for. And she says, I was praying for this, and this is where it got answered. And she records it, right? And at the end of the year, she looks at these journals and she says, God is awesome. And God is moving. And I can't wait to see what he does next year. Right? Because she ponders. She thinks about it. I don't have this discipline. Anybody else? I wish I did. I need to develop it. I need to work it out, right? Um, so my, one of my commitments, or, well, no, I can't say commitments because I failed, right? But, I mean, one of my things for 2016 is I want to either do, like, a video blog each day or at least once a week or maybe, like, just a voice recording on my phone. Just record something that God has done every day and kind of keep track of it. And then when I'm bored, go back and listen to it. So because it's so easy to forget, right? To to wait with passivity. It's so easy to just sit and wait and not see things. So you throw in the town and you keep moving. But if you ponder and you think, you write, you trust God's word, you endure, you look for affirmation, and you ponder, man, God gets big real fast. And then that thing that you want, you start seeing God move in it. The thing you're waiting for. The thing you're praying for. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for your marriage to change? For your husband to connect emotionally with you? Are you waiting for your wife to understand that all you need is a foot rub when you come home? Are you waiting waiting for a sin to be overcome? One of those those predominant sins in our lives that just keep coming up and coming up and coming up. That pride, that lust, the arrogance, the anger. That one thing that you just wish you could just lay it down. You've prayed so hard. You've asked God, take it away. And you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. you're just like, forget it. It's never going to change. I'm always going to be an angry person. I'm always going to be full of pride. Just forget it. What are you waiting for? And then secondly, how are you waiting? Are you trusting God's word to be true? Are you enduring suffering when you don't feel blessed are you looking for how god uses his body and his word and his spirit and worship music and your friends and your family and your spouse and your kids like are you looking for god how god is affirming his call in your life over time and then are you taking time to ponder there is a lot of power in pondering we know the christmas story because mary pondered she treasured all these things in her heart she thought about it deeply and waited for god to move and then each time God affirmed it, she probably pondered again. I would imagine when she on the, at the temple when he was twelve, she probably did some pondering. You know, when Jesus was at the wedding and he made all that wine, she was like, "I got to ponder this one." That was pretty crazy. <laughs> it's like that's pretty amazing. And then you know, all the way down, all the way until he looks at her carrying a cross and says, "I make all things new." She probably had to ponder that one. Because it didn't look like he was making very much new until three days later when that grave was empty. Makes all things new. What are you waiting for? How are you waiting in 2016? Will you work on developing the discipline of poverty? That's my challenge to you. We're going to worship some more, spend some more time on some music. I just want to let God just breathe and uh, you know move in His Spirit and, and, and encourage you through either song or through um, through people. If you if you just feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you to go encourage somebody, you be that affirmation, be that step, encourage, help someone endure, endure, teach, share a word from God in His Scripture, share share what the Word says to encourage someone and help them learn to trust it. Right? We're just going to worship together. That's that's how we're going to end the day, and then. Um, uh, yeah, and then we'll, we'll have some discussion. About it. Okay? Let's, let me pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Restoration Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, hear other messages, or find out how you might be able to contribute to this vision, please visit us at www.restorationchurch.us or follow us on Facebook at RestorationDCH.